through this book. Today we're going to work on two verses. There's a surprise for you. Instead of just a quarter of one verse, we're going to cover two verses. That's verse three and verse number four. Jude three and four. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. As we've been working through uh, the book of Jude, we've already highlighted verse number one. Uh, speaking of who we are in Christ Jesus, um, we're beloved by God the Father, set apart, sanctified. Um, we are also kept by Jesus Christ. And those things are essential for us to remember and to keep uh, before us as we go through this book. I'm going to keep bringing that up. Uh, who we are is very important as believers in Christ. We saw last week in verse number two, what we have. What we have is uh, mercy, and we have peace, and we have love. These things God has given to us, and we possess them right now. And those are actually the things that we need to take to those who are in need, as we keep bringing up the fact that toward the end of this book, we have a responsibility. And that's highlighting especially verse number 22 and 23. So who we are and what we have are important things for us to keep in mind before we go out to meet the needs of others. Um, I'm, I'm being very general, I know. As I start with that, the sermons, we've worked with that and, and enhanced that a great deal. But uh, with those two things in mind, and I'm going to bring them up again in just a little bit to keep the focus here, um, I want to talk today in verse 3 and 4 as to where we are, where we are, all right? Um, Years ago, I did a lot of traveling by car. Uh, you who have uh, raised families and gone on vacation, you know how this story goes. It really was the only way to visit uh, family. Um, when you have six children, the cost of uh, flying was much too high. So airplanes uh, uh, were too expensive and they didn't stop at McDonald's either. So uh, we drove a lot. Many of our trips were from northern Indiana all the way down to southern Florida, which is a very long drive. Um, we took advantage of rest stops. Every time we'd see a sign that say rest stop in two miles or three miles, we'd tell everybody, get ready, we're going to stop. And uh, it was very common uh, for uh, me to be out in the lobby of the rest stop while I was waiting for the, the whole crew to finish up in the restrooms. Um, and there on the wall, usually it was between the two um, restrooms, would be a large map. And those who have been there, you know what I mean. A very large map of the state that we happened to be driving through at the time. And somewhere on that map was a star or a red arrow or something and the sign, you are here. 
And I could only imagine that uh, the day that we are in with GPS, maybe that map isn't as necessary as it used to be. But it was very important to us in those days uh, to check things out. You know, so much have changed over the years. <laughs> um, we know that too well. But I want to talk to you today about that simple phrase, you are here, um, and point out something that the church needs to know. And sometimes I say it that way, and you think, well, our church, our Hillsdale Bible Church. And I think church also is big as we talk about the church in the capital letter, the body of Christ, uh, something that not just we need to know, but all believers need to know this. Obviously, if it's in God's word, it is for all believers for us to take notice of. I, I think that what we need is to get our bearings to understand how to conduct ourselves in this world. Every generation has to walk down this road. Since the scripture was written, uh, there have been challenges for every single one of them in one way or the other. And you know, as well as I do, that the Lord did not choose to remove us from this world. He hasn't done that yet. Uh, we long for the rapture. And as many of our believers, uh, our brothers and sisters uh, over the years, they've longed for the rapture as well. Uh, it was not uncommon for a believer to look at the world and say, Lord, this looks like a pretty good time for you to come. I don't know if you thought of that this morning when you looked outside and, and thought of the storm. Uh, when is a good time for the Lord to take us home? I, I'm looking forward to it any time, and I know you are too. I would guess that the disciples of the first century thought that a lot. Um, they spoke and they wrote as if they were expecting the Lord to come at any moment. Um, and we still do that. And there, there's just the evidence that um, the Lord hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't left us here and forgot. Uh, it's just not his timing yet. We are still here. Uh, you will be mindful, perhaps, of the prayer that Jesus gave in John chapter 17. When he was praying for his disciples, this was just, just a, a short span of time, maybe an hour before, I'm guessing at the hour, but maybe an hour before Judas would come into the Garden of Gethsemane with the soldiers. He brought 600 men with him or more in order to arrest Jesus. And uh, Jesus was there praying for his disciples. I know we, we also talk about the time he was praying um, that the Lord would take his, the cup from him. And that was just after this, I believe. Um, I think John... Uh, 15, 16, and 17 uh, were on the walk between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. It, I don't know what the distance was on that. It might have been a good mile uh, of a walk. He had to go around the city and up to the north. Um, I believe it would have been the northeast corner of the city um, in order to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, walking down through the Kidron Valley, as he's going along, I could only picture him uh, as he's teaching about the vine and the branches. That area was full of vineyards and olive groves and um, 
all these different uh, trees would be growing along the way and shrubs and things. It was known for that. And uh, perhaps as they're walking past a, a vineyard there, it was dark, but they had torches and Jesus would stop and and he'd have a branch, uh, uh, one of the vine branches in his hands. And he'd start to explain John 15 and their dependence upon him. He'd go into John 16 and he's talking about how uh, they need to be one as as he and the Father are one. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a, a lot of incredible dialogue in those chapters. But in John chapter 17, he starts to pray. And it's interesting to me because I think if I'm understanding the context well, he is still walking along as he's talking to his disciples. And suddenly he's talking to his father and he's praying about these things that are on his heart for these men who are right here with him. In just a short while, they're going to be scattered um, because of the, the fear of being arrested when Jesus is arrested. And so he starts to talk to the Lord, his father, uh, about um, his disciples. And he did not ask his father to take them out of the world. In John 17, verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, he says, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I have given them your word, verse 14 says, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Two simple requests for his disciples here. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them. Keep them. Keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. You know how I've defined that word. Set them apart. Set them apart in the truth, Lord. Now, why, why didn't he just say, just set them apart? Why did he add in the truth? Set them apart in the truth. Well, many of you have been here at uh, Hillsdale Bible Church for many years. Um, we take pride in the uh, efforts and the attempts to stay true to God's word. 126 years, I think we have a pretty good track record of that, um, but we must stay vigilant. We know that uh, things change rapidly in the world that we live in. Um, we've read words before like this out of John chapter 3, verse 19, 20, 21. This is a judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, I know we've read that before, and perhaps it was... Um, a day coming, we thought maybe that such like this, that the world hating the light and and uh, the challenges that would come because the world would hate us, uh, we thought maybe that was hopefully a long ways off. Well, there's a sign right here that I set before you. It goes like this. We are here. 
we are here. That is the true situation of our world today. I think you know that. If we were to look out into the world and see its receptiveness to the things that are true, uh, we are finding more and more and more resistance. And that is not something uh, the Lord is surprised by. He prayed about that. He knew that his disciples would be in a world that does not like them. Uh, it would hate them because if it hates their ma his, our master, it would hate us as well. That is true. Living in a world like ours, to be godly in an ungodly world is not easy to do. And I said that before you first, because that's where I would put my first marker, we are here. But there's another marker that Jude is talking about, and this is the one that concerns me the most this morning, because we are here. There are dangers in this world, that is true. But what if the danger were to be in the church? What if the danger is among those that uh, we as brothers and sisters in Christ fellowship with? I'm, I'm not trying to say somebody in our church are, are building our fellowship in Hillsdale. I'm not saying it that way. I mean, still, I'm talking about the capital C as the church is concerned. Um, we know that our ministry is a connected to a lot of other ministries, and we have influences for ourselves in the books that we read and the, the programs we work through. Uh, we're not all by ourselves, a little island in the middle of no place, but we have a lot of contacts with a lot of other people, a lot of other people who uh, are what we believe to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I take you to God's word here this morning, I want to set before you something we need to be mindful of, and that is a danger that did lurk in the days of Jude in the church. And the warning there is still a warning we have to be aware of. Now, we know our theme, and that is God is able. <laughs> that is true. It's always true. It's not going to change. He is able to keep us from falling, verse 24 says. He's able to present us blameless before his presence. That's also in verse 24. We've seen he loves us. He sets us apart. He keeps us. He's given to us mercy. He's given to us peace. He's given to us love. Everything we are and everything we have is his work in our life because he is able. And I love to bring that before you. Uh, in just a few verses, um, God or Jude has given to us what God says is, is really a rock solid place to stand in our relationship with him. And since he is able, he is able to save us, he is able to keep us. He is able to bring us to himself in the end. That is our confidence. That is our hope. We have it anchored in the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. This is what he accomplished for us. And we believe it to be sufficient. We believe it uh, that that's what holds us up in this world. Jude's purpose in telling us this is not so that we can gloat, uh, somehow walk about like we're better than other people. That's not true. Um, we do not taunt the world. We don't point our finger and laugh at them because we have something they don't. Um, we are in this world. 
we're here for a purpose. We're here to render help to this world that is struggling in sin and condemnation. We're here to help rescue those who are in sin and give them a hand to get out of the pit. That's what verse number 22 and 23 especially points out to us when it says things like this, uh, save or have mercy on some who are doubting and save others. Uh, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. We have a purpose here, and our purpose is, is set in the fact that we have an anchor in our God. He is able to hold us. He is able to keep us, and that's a promise we can go forward with. See, we can do this. We can do what we're called to do, since it is God who holds us fast. He says, go ahead and reach him. I won't lose you. Now, we've been set apart in the truth. We have been set apart for a purpose. I like what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, here it comes, ready? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a job to do, to proclaim. That means to tell it out. It, it, it's it's an ekangelo. I, I'm looking at the Greek word in front of me right now. Ekangelo, what a great word. Um, Angelio, angelo, that's where we get a word like the noun angel, uh, which is a messenger. And since this is a verb, it's talking about the job of the messenger is to give the message out, to give it out. And that's what we've been called to do. God has given to us the truth. And all that God has done for us is written in this book. And it's meant not just to pack our hearts and our minds but it's supposed to be spoken with our mouth. Others need to hear the truth. They need to hear the truth. So I've gone on this little trip with you right here to bring you back up to verse three and verse number four. Beloved, he said, look at it again. While I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long ago, long beforehand, marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clear from verse number three that Jude's desire to write to his congregation had to take on a different route. He wanted to talk about our common salvation, uh, but something more pressing has come to his attention. And it's so serious in nature that he must take the, it has to take the place of what he originally purposed. Now, I, I don't think that we are neglecting instruction on our common salvation, um, since especially when we're looking at Jude's words themselves, we're, we're talking about this wonderful position we are in because God is able. Uh, 
that study is necessary. And what Jude did in such a short couple of verses, one and two, was lay the entire framework for what he needed to do, starting in verse three. The study is necessary if we're going to live in the present world. Uh, those who had Jude's letter would only need to set their focus on those few verses, verse 1 and 2, verse 24 and 25. And they would have quite a bit of help in understanding our common salvation. I can only guess what Jude would have added to that if he was to write about that common salvation in its fullest desire that he had. But as you can see in verse number three, there was another point that Jude must make. He had a compulsion. The text literally says he's being pressed tight, uh, more than just a mere duty. Now, it's like a great distress, and it's an affliction in his mind and in his heart, and it has to be spoken. In other words, he says, I had to write to you. I had to. A deliberate decisive act, something that must be done. I had to pull you aside. I had to exalt, exhort you and encourage you and appeal to you and urge you. Those are all the, the passionate concepts in the simple little phrase that he begins in verse three. I, 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 I have this necessity to write to you. Now, this is not because he, he's negligent in this at all. Uh, there was a danger of them uh, maybe giving up, maybe quitting, maybe uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't want to keep on going. You know, it's kind of hard sometimes when things are tough and you've invested a lot of time into it and a lot of energy into it and a lot of resources into it. Um, and you start to get weary you start to get uh, uh, tired, and there's opposition, and there's heavy cares in this world, and you want to retire, and you want to stop. Jude calls for this intense struggle to be met in this way, all right? A demand for them to contend earnestly for the faith. He's talking to them in such a way like, you've been doing this, don't quit. I have to write to you right now because it's easy to, to start taking it a little lighter, but we can't afford to do that. The issues of faith is something worth fighting for, he says. We, we can't just set back. There's a struggle that demands this. This is his necessity. Matter of fact, the way he says it, he uses a word um, that we get the word um, agony from agonize is the word fighting an opposition to something or to someone uh in this present hour he says it's needful faith is under attack this faith has been given to you it's entrusted to you as well this faith in what you have found what you have been taught in the faith this once for all faith that he talks about because there is no other faith there's just this. There's no other savior. There's no other way. There, there's no other truth. Scripture says there's no other life. There's no other avenue to the Father but through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this is our faith. This is what we believe and hold to. And for whatever reason, it has become an issue in Jude's day, a big issue. And he says, 
how much more uh, can I appeal to you than to change my whole course of this letter to address this need, this necessity in our day and age? I think if it was big issue in Jude's day, it's a big issue in ours days, ours day as well. Our world, as you know, for the sake of unity, uh, which I call it, would have us abandon our place in truth. They would have us accept the notion that there are many ways to God. Uh, they would even ask us if there really is a God. Uh, they would contend that uh, we keep the truth and allow them to have theirs. No, they wouldn't let us have our truth to keep. They just want us to accept theirs. Uh, they would have us leave our truth and join them where they are. And we understand in scripture that's if it's not in the light, it's in darkness. You see, they love everything dark. This world does. Nothing is light in there. Jude reminds his people that uh, this faith has been entrusted to them. It's not just that they have it, but it's entrusted. Look at that word carefully. It's been delivered to them, but now they have a role in it to preserve its purity, to pass it on to the next generation, similar to what Paul told Timothy to do. Every part of the truth needs to be defended. No part is to be surrendered whatsoever. We, like them, have a sacred task in guarding a holy treasure. What are we to do? What are we to do? When we go to book this book of Jude's, we go to verse number 20, for example, it says, but you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Let's just go with the first phrase here. We've, we've got uh, time ahead of us yet in our study of Jude. We're going to look at the other ones as well. Let's start with building up. Building is a word for constructing a house. The foundation is already laid. Now we work on it. We frame it out. We build the walls. We build the doors. We set the windows. Some of you are currently doing that now. I'm watching houses behind me and in front of me uh, get built. Sometimes you might think a little slower. But uh, as you're watching these houses being built, it takes work and it takes time. And if your task is to build a house, then you don't waste your time and money on unrelated or unprofitable things. You build the house. Jude, knowing the issues of his day, does not give instruction that is wasteful or unrelated to the task of the believer. We have faith. We are to protect that faith, he says. So we are to build up in the faith. It's a simple thing. But that's what he calls us to do. Building ourselves, look at it in verse 20. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. We build up on the faith. It's, it's where we invest our minds and our hearts and our efforts and our exercise in the faith that we've been given. We invest all that we have or else we're going to invest it in something else. If faith is under attack, 
That's where the defense forces need to be. This is Jude's appeal to them. That's his concern. And really, it's like a warning alarm going off. Um, and it's not just in case there is a, an attack. He says, we are here, as he writes verse number three and four. We are here. The reality is present right now. The alarm is going off. Years ago, I, I tinkered with a game on the computer, and some of you know it well, I know, uh, called Age of Empires. It was a, a very addicting game. Once you get started, you could sit for hours and hours and play that game. If you know what I mean, you've been there. Um, now, I've never been very quick with computer coordination or the, the video games that uh, you can play, especially my children would pick me to play some of the games with them, combat games and things like that. And I think I was an easy target. I just, I just couldn't keep the speed. I didn't know which buttons to push. And uh, I think they took advantage of that. They, they would have to tell you otherwise, but I think they did. Um, the game Age of Empires took a lot of attention. Um, here, the simple concept of it is that you're given a little people group of all your own, a little nation you're going to build. And you start with one or two and you build houses so that you could get more and you send them out to forage for food so that you could get more. And so you cut down trees so that you could get, build more houses and you could get more people and you mine the stone and you send out guys to mine the gold and you build stables and you build barracks and you build fences and you build gardens. And all the while you keep bringing in more people and you keep building little uh, houses. And after a little while, your little group starts to become a, a large group, uh, like a little nation. You build harbors, uh, you build ships, you send out fishermen, you keep on growing. And suddenly, as you think everything is all peaceful and wonderful and you've got all this set up around you, a battle alarm starts going off on the computer. And this always made me panic. I didn't know what that meant. Where, where was the attack? You have to look all over your screen and try to find out who's attacking you and and somebody's attacking your people and they're tearing down your walls and they're they're tearing down your houses and they're sinking your ships and this alarm keeps sounding as you're frantically clicking your mouse and you're trying to send troops over here to defend the village and all the rest and even that just makes my heart start to race a little bit because I wasn't quick enough with the mouse and soon my little nation looked like a dumpster on fire um I didn't win very often <laughs> those kind of games. Well, here in Jude, verse number four, Jude did not say the trouble was coming. He gave the alarm. It is here. Right where you are, you are here. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Look at that in verse four. They're settled in alongside you right now. No, they're not in the process of sneaking in. They've already sank into your lazy boy recliner. They've mingled in with the people of God. They've pretended to be true members. In reality, they're bogus Christians wearing a cloak of, of counterfeit faith and piety, and they were not even noticed, Jude says. Now, God knows who they are. 
It says these are the ones he marked out for condemnation long time ago. They're ungodly persons. He knows that. Bad enough to have, it's bad enough to have to live in an ungodly world. But when it infiltrates the church, we have serious problems. We would say that their, bad, their behavior is bad enough that uh, Jude writes and says, oh, it's more than that. It's not just their behavior. They're messing with our doctrine as well. They have taken a beautiful word like grace, and they perverted it. They've turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. They've taken our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the end of verse number four. They've taken our Lord Jesus Christ and his authority, and they disowned him. They refused him. They deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, folks, doesn't that just work in your heart right now to say, who's going to touch our grace and who's going to speak such like that to our Lord? We can, we can brace ourselves for attacks from the outside. We'd expect that of a world that doesn't like us and doesn't like the truth and doesn't like our Lord. We'd, it expects, we expect that for those who are outside us. But isn't it a surprise if the attack comes from within? What does Jude say to do? Build yourselves in the faith, verse 20. Build yourselves. Let me tell you why that's relevant for us even today. There is so much taken away from the church, the church's influence in this society right now. The world does not like the light. That's a fact. You just get uh, that realization before you. Uh, the world does not like the truth. It does not like the light. We know that there's been a lot of change in our society. Some of us who are older have seen the changes that have taken place since things like prayer was abolished from our schools, where Christian principles and Christian heroes and Christian movements were erased from our history books, when it became legal to take the life of an unborn, when we heard the voice of the church become fainter and its influence become less effective. We have seen the days of political efforts in the 1980s, for example, to make our nation right before God. But the reality is, folks, that politics is not the gospel. I've watched in F the efforts to redefine the church practices, uh, reaching the lost by mean of business methods and societal methods rather than biblical methods. I've seen the books, and you have too, that seek to redefine our scriptures, to suggest that Jesus was someone other than what the Bible said he was, that Paul and the apostles were more interested in ecology and social justice or equality and important they wanted to improve things down here, and so some people write, so that Jesus would come and be comfortable in this world. Um, I have seen the Christian colleges disappear uh, one by one to the secularization of education. I've seen our future pastors trained to be psychologists instead of biblicists. I can say I've seen a lot of things going on outside the church. I've seen a lot of things in this world that's gone against the faith. But when things start to work like that inside the church, it becomes so alarming to me. 
don't be surprised, really, if the attack is right now here where we are in the center of what we hold to. Even the word grace, folks, is under attack today. There's movements going on. It's infiltrating the churches. It's in Bible churches. It's in dispensational churches. There are those who believe that sin is not a big deal, that Christians are exempt from the penalty of sins just because of grace. Sin might be troubling, they say, but it's only temporary and it's somewhat benign, and repentance and confession are no longer needed. And if you remind them that God calls you to be holy as he is holy, as Peter teaches, then you become legalistic. I don't know if you're troubled by this, but I am. I'm troubled because doctrines like the doctrine of sanctification is being thrown out the window. How does a believer live godly in an ungodly world if he's not set apart for the purpose? They say it's not essential anymore. Would, would we really like that to infiltrate the congregation? I'm afraid to say it this way, but this has crept into the church as a whole. The, the church of America, the church of this world that belongs to Jesus Christ, we, we have had this and the alarm bells are going off. Are you troubled by that? I am. It's considered to be theological legalism uh, to speak of the deity of Christ or his death for sin or that uh, uh, we need to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. There's certain things that are going on in our in the church. We are here now that Jude described in verse number four. Jude said, it's happened already. They're already in the church, Jude said. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Underscore this, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. If if ever there was a time when I see that in our world, it's right now. Those who deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's going on right now. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to attack with a movement of our own. The attacks have been going on for years, folks, and it doesn't look like all the books and all the seminars and all the programs have made any difference. And there's a reason for that, because Jude doesn't call us to have seminars and books and programs. He says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. We ought to know it well, and we ought to be strong in it, so that when those who infiltrate the church uh, come in this way, they will recognize that we know the truth and we see the difference and that we can also recognize that they're messing with the truth. What goes on outside the church is not something we're called to change. God changes people. We're simply called to be lights in the darkness, right? That's what we're called to do. We're to be a light in the darkness. And don't be surprised if the world wants to turn off that light. But what goes on inside the church is something we are called to do. We cannot afford to let our guard down. We cannot afford to become weak in doctrine and careless in our understanding of truth. If we let the light grow dim 
on the inside, how are we ever going to shine on the outside? Sorry, my answering machine just went off. So this is where we are. This is what we need to do. We we are we are here right now. Okay. Hang on. I can't reach. I can't turn it off. Thanks, and we look forward to serving you for many birthdays to come. There's answering machine. Megan's birthday is today, and you just heard it. Evans Pharmacy just wished her a happy birthday. Okay. So, this is what the church is called to. It's something on the inside that we have to be aware of, and we cannot let our guard down. We cannot afford to become weak in doctrine, careless in our understanding of the truth. We, we can't let our light grow dim. This is where we are, and this is what we need to know. Who we are, that is taken care of by the Lord. We have all the essential parts to contend with where we are. I would say, in this, we must dedicate ourselves to the study of the truth as presented in God's word. We are to have it as our food and as our drink, to have it as our very life. We are to commit ourselves to stand in the truth and stand in its defense. And we got to be the kind of people that reflect it in our lives. This is what's going to help those when we get to verse number 22 and 23. It's because we have a firm stand on the outside that we could pull them out of the mess that they are in. So I commend you today, again, to God's word, asking you to invest yourself in it. Realize how, how important it is in our day and age right now that we stand firm and we're ready to know it well and to live it out and be ready to meet those who need help too. All right? So have a word of prayer and we're going to close with another song and then I will finish with another closing prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is before us and it, it challenges our hearts. We're called, Lord, here to know the truth and to know it well, to build ourselves up in it. The dangers lurk on the outside, we know, but the dangers that lurk on the inside can destroy so many things. The testimony of the church, the effectiveness of the church, we lose our sight, our direction. We lose our capabilities to help those in need. Remind us again of the essential, essential thing it is for us as believers to be built up in the truth. We need it now because this is where we are here and now in a world and also in the dangers that would go against the faith. Teach us, Lord and help us to stay uh, firm in our commitment to God's word, to take a stand and to be ready with the truth when the world will go in and mock the things that we believe in. And then folks get into the church that turn such beautiful things as the word grace and what we know of our savior into things that are negatives. Lord, please appeal to our hearts today in such a way that we respond by getting deep into your word and building up so that we can be useful in the projects you've called us to do. And we thank you as we study through this book for your help in our understanding of it 
and in our application of it. In Jesus' name, amen.